All right, uh, we are in a series, uh, as you saw on the screen, in Philippians. Uh, the theme verse for this series is from Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. I highly recommend you memorize this verse. It's, I, I picked a short verse so that you could memorize it in the short four-week series that we're in. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. This is a series on us maturing as followers of Jesus. So if you're still checking things out, if you, if you haven't made the decision to surrender your life to Jesus, uh, that's okay. We, we're more than welcome to come, be a part of this, learn, understand, grow, figure out what this whole thing's about. But for those of you who have been followers of Jesus, this is an opportunity for us to mature a little bit, to grow, as we sang, to go just a little bit deeper in our faith journey with him. Happiness, Scripture says, is fleeting. It comes and it goes, but joy comes in Christ. Last week we talked about the fact that uh, happiness is external, that joy is something that takes place inside of us. But here's the thing. We have to fight for joy uh, because we live in a, in, a, in a world and we live in a generation where uh, our joy easily gets robbed from us. Uh, it easily gets stolen, and, and we have to fight for it because there's, there's just so many things out there that are, that are taking it away from us. And, and if you've ever just flipped on the news, that will rob you of your joy. Uh, this last week, we, you know, if you just look at kind of the headlines this last week, our, uh, we're fighting over health care right now, and it just hurts my head to think about it. And uh, we're fighting. Oh, it, one, of the, one of the things, one of the headlines I read this last week was about jobs, that in America, only 30% of people who go to work uh, actually engage in their workplace, engage with people in the workplace. 70% go, get the job done, go home, don't even really engage at all at work. In fact, I just read, uh, this has nothing to do with my message, but I read that um, uh, the majority of people who quit their jobs, they don't quit because they don't like the company, they quit because of their manager, the person that's overseeing them. So they don't quit the company, they quit their manager. And I've got a couple of my staff members here, so I hope you don't quit me. Um, but there's it, it, just this general unhappiness in the workplace because there's not this engagement that's taking place. We're fighting about all these things. We're dealing with all of this stuff. There's so many things that can rob us of our joy. In 2017, there was a study done by Gallup on the happiest states in the, uh, in the Union. And just so you know, uh, this will probably not come as a huge surprise to you. But for the sixth time, Hawaii was named the happiest state in the United States. Right? Which makes sense, because who wouldn't be happy in Hawaii unless you're trying to build a house or get a job? It's really hard. It was the happiest. Alaska was ranked the second happiest state in the country for the third consecutive year. And Colorado was ranked number four, which is probably pretty skewed by the fact that they just legalized marijuana. I'm just saying, they're not really upset about anything there. Uh, Texas rounded out the top 10 uh, at number 10. Uh, so we get to, to pride ourselves on the fact that we're the 10th happiest state in the nation. Uh, if you talk to Texans, they would tell you that we're the best state in the nation. Uh, the, the most unhappy states, West Virginia is the most unhappy state. I have a friend who pastors in West Virginia. 
Um, sorry for him. A bunch of depressing congregants, apparently. Uh, followed by Kentucky. And you, all the Texans will get a kick out of this. And Oklahoma. Oklahoma is the third uh, most depressing state in the union. And we have some people who moved here from Oklahoma. And, uh, and with, with all due respect, I totally understand this. <laughs> Because I've been to Oklahoma, and it's not awesome. Um, the measurements of this poll, though, are all external, right? There, there are things that, like, you know, the job uh, quality or the amount of jobs. It's the amount of income, the housing prices. It's, uh, it's the, uh, the demo... Uh, the, uh, um, the topography, is that the, the geography of it, like the location, uh, whether it's got mountains or ocean or whatever, or lots of snow if you're in Alaska. It's all external things. And, and as we learned last week, we really need something more than the external, don't we? We need something more that's not going to just make us happy for a fleeting moment, but that's actually going to bring joy internally. So I want to take a look at chapter 2. Of Philippians, and that's really what this chapter is all about. It's about uh, allowing, not allowing things to rob us of our joy, and really diving into the things that are going to bring us joy. Starting in verse one of chapter two, it says, "If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, any if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any, and I, and I love the the language of this that Paul gives us because here's Paul he's he's sitting in prison he's chained to a guard and he's penning this he's writing this letter to this this church that he planted he he loves this church he loves the people in the church and he says if there's any tenderness and compassion he's just such a great great pastor then make my joy complete by being like minded having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. In other words, Paul is saying, my joy is complete when you have joy. My joy is complete when you are walking in unity, when there's tenderness and compassion towards people, when, when you're in unity in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that when those things are taking place, joy comes inside of you. And when joy comes inside of you, I have joy. And I would just um, echo what Paul is saying. And, and I don't mean to imply that I'm any Paul or even that great of a pastor. I just know that in my own heart, in Kelly's heart, that when you have joy, it brings us great joy. I'll tell you a, just a quick story. Uh, a few weeks ago, well, it's been a couple months now, um, our, our Columbia team, Carlos was a part of that. Our Columbia team came, they shared about their trip. And if you remember that Sunday, if you were here, uh, Jeremy instructed all of them to kind of line up here. And, and there was this huge invitation for people who wanted prayer to come and get prayer. And there was, in both services, second service especially, there was just uh, lines of people coming and getting prayer. And I was standing on the front row, and I intentionally was not uh, stepping out to pray over people because this was the Columbia team. This was them doing it. And, and as I was standing there, I just started weeping. And it, and it wasn't tears of sadness. It was just tears of joy because here people were experiencing internal joy by praying over one another. And when we see that as, as pastors, as leaders in the church, when we get to see that, it brings me joy. My joy can be complete when we see that. 
Paul in verse 3 goes into some warnings, though. He, we could call these our joy killers. He says, that's what brings me joy. Those are the things that will begin to bring joy into your life. But you need to be careful of some things because if you allow some things into your life, it's going to rob you of your joy. It's going to kill the joy that, that you had. He says in verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but instead, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So Paul's warning us. He says this, this is an opportunity. We have an opportunity this morning to, to experience the joy of the Lord, to go deeper and closer in our relationship with him. But if we're not careful and we allow some things to enter into our life, we can't be, and this is in your notes, we can't be living to impress. And what I mean by that is, you've kind of heard the, the statement, I've got to get mine, right? We, we just kind of live this life. I'm going to get my money. I'm going to get my house, my cars, and I'm, I'm going to get this amazing job or this amazing opportunity. We do all of this so that people will be impressed with us. We can't live our life with this a desire to impress people, to make everyone around me so impressed about who I am. It's a very, very dangerous thing when we live our life that way, and it will rob us of our joy. And then number two, we can't live for the applause. We can't live for the applause. And before you say anything, because uh, I don't want to get any emails this week, I know it's a Lady Gaga song, so don't say, Ryan, your second point was a Lady Gaga song. I got it. So, but isn't that, isn't that indicative of our culture that, that we even have songs that talk about our desire to live for the applause, to live in such a way that people will praise us, to live in such a way that people will congratulate, oh, good job, you're, you're amazing. And here's the thing is, if you've ever taken the five love languages, the, the assessment, I'm a words of affirmation person. So it's easy for me to fall into this trap of, of living for the applause, living for people to tell me how funny I am and how good looking I am. I mean, nobody ever really says it, but i still waiting for it. Actually, somebody in between services told me how good looking I was, and I thought, eh, okay, uh, I'm, I'm good for the day. Uh, and then tomorrow I'll need somebody else. No. That, it's easy when you're looking for applause or you're looking for affirmation, you're looking for people to, when, when that's what your identity is wrapped up in, it will still steal the joy from you. It, we live in this selfie culture, right? This, a selfie is the ultimate look at me, talk about me, hit like about me. Right, we 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 do it, and, and all of you have like posted selfies recently. You're like, uh, I hope you didn't see. Him. I hope he's not talking about me, right? But it's true. We live in that kind of a culture. In fact, I I looked up the definition of selfie. It's kind of sad that we even have one, uh, but I looked it up. And if you if you are an artist, you ought to be offended by this definition because the definition of selfie is the art of. I'm like, selfie is not an art. It's, it's never been an art. It's not an art. And you say, well, you've never seen me take a selfie. Uh, that is an art. Well, whatever. But the, 
Uh, it's the art of taking one's picture uh, with a handheld device, typically a phone, uh, from an angle, right? Because you get the best angle, and I don't have an angle in which is best, and I can't really even take one because my phone's so big, but you just snap one like that, and then you post it on Facebook, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait for people to like it. That's the culture that we live in. We live in a selfie culture. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I know, it's so annoying, these young people. They just take all of these selfies, and it's, it's just out of control, and they got the duck lips and all of this stuff. And, <laughs> but did you know that 25% of selfies are taken by people 45 and older? Yes. <laughs> yeah. If your parents or your grandparents are taking selfies, tell them to stop it. <laughs> My kids are embarrassed, like, when we're affectionate in front of each other. If I took a selfie, they would run away. <laughs> Millions of these are being posted all the time, and, and it's really a sign of our culture. And what Paul is saying here is, Time out. Stop. Just take a moment and reflect. Selfish ambition, vain conceit, living to impress, living for the applause, all of those things are going to steal your joy. I'm, I'm studying some cultural trends right now, and I came across a study that shows that there are six cultural social media trends that are on the rise right now. The first is that there's this rising preoccupation with self. Being, being above the rules is another one. I, I get to live how I choose to live. The inability to receive criticism. Nobody can even take any sort of constructive criticism or any criticism at all. There's the refusal for taking responsibility. Uh, this is an interesting one, listening to respond. Whereas uh, in our life group in the, in the spring, it's all about communication and listening and, and all that. And, and this is what that's saying is that when we listen to someone, we're not listening to hear them. We're listening, waiting for a pause so that we can then respond. Oh, really? You, you've met that person? Well, I rode in an elevator with Tom Cruise. So... You know, I mean, it's, we're waiting for, really, I did, but <laughs> I'm looking for, to impress you, uh, but it's this looking to, or, or listening to respond really isn't listening at all, as I've discovered in my 19 years of marriage. Uh, they found that uh, we are, uh, the, the study found that we are quicker to anger than we have ever been before in America. And the study concluded, we are a nation of narcissists. And ultimately, it's causing depression, it's causing anxiety, and it's causing this intense self-focus. And we end up in these cultural trends. We, we end up with the whole world. I mean, if you, if you believe any of the stuff that you're reading these days, the whole world thinks we're a bunch of narcissists, which I think is probably a little bit skewed. But but certainly this study of Americans really would say we kind of are this self-indulged narcissistic culture and we fall into that not because we're bad people, 
but because it's natural. Because we live in a sinful world, we live, we are, we, we, we are born into a, a sinful nature that, that it's natural for us to be focused on ourselves and be consumed by our own things. But here's the thing is God doesn't want us to live natural lives. He's asking for something more of that of us. He, he, he's not asking of us. He, he wants something more for us. He wants us to move out of the natural and live in the supernatural. In fact, his ways, if you look at our culture and it's here, his way would be here. It'd be the opposite. He doesn't want us to live a natural life, a normal cultural life, and that's the reality of chapter 2. He has something more for us. And in verse 5, that's what Paul builds on. He says, your attitude should be the same, that of Christ Jesus. So if this is the world, here's Jesus. Your, your attitude should be the same, that of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. Don't live like this. Don't live to impress. Don't live for the applause. Instead, be the same as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human, uh, in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is great because he walked on this earth as a servant. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So the key to joy is first to develop a servant's heart. We have a, a great example in Jesus. Uh, I go through these seasons where I'm, I'm reading and then I'm not reading, and I happen to be in a season right now where I'm, I'm reading lots of books, and I'm reading lots of leadership books right now, and it's interesting, you find kind of these common threads among leadership books, and, and a lot of them will talk about uh, leading with authority, communicating with authority, communicating with strength, operating out of strength, and and getting people to respect you through your strength, and all of this stuff. And, uh, and what's interesting is it really isn't how Jesus led. Uh, we came across this book. We had uh, Floyd McClung here a few years ago, and uh, Floyd spoke with us right after he went uh, back to South Africa. He had a stroke and, uh, and is in the process of recovering, still not doing well uh, at all in that, but it's, it's kind of uh, good days and bad days. But while Floyd was here, he was sharing with us, and he had written this book called Leading Like Jesus. And really, you could throw all of the other leadership books out and just take this one and be okay. Because this book talks about the fact that when you lead like Jesus, it's an upside-down kingdom. The world that we live in is, is here, and, and leading like Jesus is just flipping it completely upside down. Oh, you think I have authority over you? Leading like Jesus is let me get as deep and far underneath you and prop you up and serve you as I can. Jesus came, Scripture tells us, to serve, not be served. 
He humbled himself even to the point of being nailed to a cross. He he was completely stripped, completely humiliated, and was the best leader to ever walk this earth. Hebrews 12.2 says, Let us fix our eyes then on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I like that passage of Scripture because I've never really noticed this before. You know, we talk a lot about Jesus going to the cross, and we, we always think that it's, you know, it's, for, it's for sin, it's for salvation. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking Jesus is going to the cross for all of us sinners. And it's like, man, if you guys weren't such screw-ups, I wouldn't have to go to the cross. But it says, for the joy set before him, that he went to the cross with joy in his heart to save us. With us in mind, there was joy. And so if if that's him, if if that's Jesus, if that's how he led, if he led as a servant, if he led as someone who gets down underneath people and props them up, then maybe that ought to be how we lead. Maybe in order for us to experience joy, we have to develop a servant's heart. So how do we do that? How do we have a servant's heart? Well, Paul encourages the the church in Philippi with these practical ways. He says, first, I want you to go all in with God. Hold nothing back. We're to see God as a, a source, our single place to look at. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, in other words, hey, when I was there, you guys were all walking in in relationship with God, you're walking in obedience to God, but then when I went away and now I'm in prison, you're still doing it. But now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes, his good purpose. In other words, Continue on. Don't ever get comfortable. Don't ever get complacent. Don't ever get to a place where you're like, I've kind of got this Christianity thing figured out. Instead, constantly be working out your faith with fear and trembling. Constantly be looking, how can I go deeper in my relationship with God? Paul's saying to this church, he's saying, you guys are doing great, but keep going. And I would just pause for a second and say, it doesn't matter where you're at. Because I think sometimes we, the message gets lost in this where we hear these things and we, we get a little guilty because we're like, we think we should be deeper. We think we should know more about God and about the Bible or, or whatever. And, and I would just say this, if that's you, God loves you right where you're at. But he's looking forward to seeing where you're going to go that he cares about you, he loves you, that you're right where you're supposed to be at this moment, but he looks forward to being with you as you grow in this relationship. So keep going, keep working out your faith. Don't leave anything on the table. God has to be the source in which we serve other people. Otherwise, we'll wear out. I took my first ministry job right out of Bible college, and I ended up, and many of you know the story, but I ended up in a, in a church in Spokane, Washington as a youth pastor. 
And we were so excited, although they did, when I asked how much we were going to get paid, uh, they said, we don't know, uh, but we promise you'll have a roof over your head and food. Those were the two promises. And we did have a roof over our head and food, and that was about it. But we go up there, and they introduce me to the youth group. I'm Ryan. I'm going to be the savior to the world and, and to this, all the youth here in Spokane. And there's 10 students there. And the next week, I come back. It was on a Thursday, and there was two. Two left. The only ones that didn't have friends. Because all their friends left. Or all the other people that had friends left. And so they were good kids and ultimately ended up being leaders uh, for me. But uh, I figured if they could endure me, they could endure anything. So these two students uh, stayed. And for weeks after that, it was just me and these two students. Which really isn't a youth group. It's two youths. (laughs) And... And so it's the three of us. And, and there was just moments where I just, okay, I'm just going to come. I'm going to serve these two students, and I'm going to just show up. I'm just going to commit to show up and to serve them and to love them and to serve our church. And, and what's interesting is I started getting tired of that. I started getting tired of showing up for these two kids that didn't have any friends. They couldn't even invite anybody. I know, it's sad. They now have friends, which is good. But one one particular Thursday, I was driving. I I had left my wife at home uh, out in the middle of nowhere that the church had given us. It was super scary. And uh, I left her there, and we, I was driving to youth group along this country road. No, not youth group. I was driving to the two youths. And... uh, (laughs) I just couldn't do it anymore. I was just tired. I just thought, God, if I, if I just drive my truck off the road, I'll have to go to the hospital and not go spend time with those two youth. I'm just giving you some insight into my dark heart at that moment. And, and, I, and here's what I discovered. Is I discovered that I can do anything in my own ability for a certain amount of time. We can serve people, we can help people, we can do stuff in our own ability for a little amount of time. But eventually we will wear out. We will get tired. We will get discouraged. We will get depressed. We can can go out and serve our community in our own ability on July 15th or 15th? Was it 15th yesterday? Yeah, we don't know the last count of days. So on July 15th, we can go serve our community. And honestly, we can do it one day in our own ability and not get tired, be excited about it, and all those things. But if we continue to do that in our own ability, we will get discouraged. We will get tired. And here's what Paul is telling the Philippian church. He's saying, you can't do it on your own. Your strength, your source of servanthood can only come from him. So if you're serving and you're tired, and I'm not even talking about in this church, but you're, you're serving your family, you're serving your work, co-workers, you're serving on our kids or serving in the context of the church and you're just tired and discouraged, I would say, find your encouragement, find your strength, your source of strength from him and stop trying to white-knuckle it on your own. Because we can't possibly do it on our own. And here's the other thing is God was doing, when I was ready to quit, 
when I was ready to drive my truck off the road, I heard the still small voice of the Lord saying, I'm doing something in you that you couldn't ever possibly understand. And so luckily I kept my, my wheel on the road and I got there and, and there were three kids. No, there wasn't. There was, there was just the two kids still. <laughs> Go all in and don't lean on our own understanding. Don't lean on our own strength. Acknowledge him and he will direct that path. Number two, take a genuine interest in others. This is so good. This is so convicting to my heart. This is where we put into action what God is doing. This is is what our world needs right now. It's not, our, our world doesn't need a bunch of Christ followers to tell them how they're wrong or to tell them what they need to do better. Our world needs people who are willing to put into action the things that we're communicating with our mouths to to do what we say is right. Paul says in verse 19, he gives this shout out to his his friend Timothy in verse 19. He says, "I I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. And then he says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. In other words, he doesn't even really know him, but he's genuinely interested in these people. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So if you are a Christ follower, if you would say, if someone calls you up and says, how do you identify your religion? You would say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, then what Paul is saying here is then we are not looking out for only our own interests. And that should be convicting to us. Paul says we are to live out this genuine interest in others, which is different than social media interests. Right? I mean, you say, well, I know what's going on in all of my Facebook friends' lives. Because I'm on Facebook, and I see, that's not genuine interest. That's superficial, surface interest. What, what Paul is talking about here is this. In fact, the word genuine in this scripture means having values claimed. So for us to take a genuine interest in people, we care for people with our actions like we claim with our words. That's what Paul is challenging the church in Philippi to do, to care for people with their actions. You say, well, who, Ryan? Who, who, who do we take an interest in? Who do we genuinely find that uh, we would be interested in? Well, first of all, and this isn't in your notes, you can just write it in the, in the margins, my people, those people who are close to us, your family, your closest friends, And sometimes, honestly, those are the ones that are hardest because we take them for granted. We take for granted. I thought, honestly, just being full disclosure here, I thought I was a pretty selfless person. And then I got married and realized how selfish I was. But then I had kids. Then I really realized how selfish I was. I mean, there's still some days where I'm like, are you guys ever going home? And they're like, Dad, we live here. We're yours. And I'm like, oh, yeah, 
That's right. We do have to ask you, like, what, what are you interested in doing? Like, I, I mean, I, there's times where I wake up and I'm like, oh, man, I can't do this. I can't wait to do this. And I've got all these things planned. And then I forget that I got to ask, like, what do you want to do today? What do, what do you guys want to do today? And oftentimes, it's not what I want to do, which means I'm selfish, probably. But really, it's taking for granted the people that are in our life. That what Paul's talking about is, is having this genuine interest in them, where we sit and listen to them. We just had this experience this last weekend. So I told you that we're moving. And uh, our kids came back from camp on Friday. Friday afternoon, and uh, had an amazing time in camp. God, God did some things in their life, and and they came back, and they're all excited to tell us about camp. and And my wife is amazing at this. She's much better at it than I am. She's a lot more selfless than I am because she's married to a selfish person uh, that I'm that God's working out in me. But so they start talking. They're so excited, and here I am. I'm like trying to get blinds up in our house, in our new house so that people can't see us change. That seems like a valid situation to me. And, and so I'm getting blinds up, and our kids are talking, and they're like, and I'm like, just I'm trying to get this done. We got people coming over on Sunday. And I'm like, why are you sitting around just listening to them? Like, we need to get stuff done around here. And yet she just paused and listened, not waiting to respond, just listened to what God had done in their life. If you have kids, don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on the opportunity to just sit and listen. If you don't go in as your kids are young and then even as they get older, do you know that the best time to know what's going on in your kids' lives is when they're going to bed? They're like, the clock on them is so messed up. You're tired, you want to go to bed, but they want to chat. And whatever you, drink another cup of coffee, do whatever you have to do, sit and listen to your kids. Kelly. No, I'm just kidding. She, she does it. I, I'm the one that, as I was writing it, I'm like, oh man, I got to confess all this stuff. The other place that we take a genuine interest in is, is my place, my, my people, my family, my friends, but my place, my church, my work. Don't be the 70%. Be the 30% that goes to work taking a genuine interest in the people that you work with, that you come into contact, your school, who are the people you go to school with, this city that we live in. Take a genuine interest. You could say it like this, find a need and fill it. Right? If you're wondering, well, how can I take a genuine interest in anything? Well, well go to work and see what, what's needed from your manager that you might quit because of. Or, or go to school, if you're in school, go to school and say, well, let me find a need and I'm going to see if I can fill it. Or you could say, find a hurt and heal it. Find someone who's hurting at work or at school and say, can I pray for you? If it's appropriate, if it's, if it's the right time, if you could just say, man, if there's anything I can pray for you. I went to pick up a washer and dryer uh, on Friday with, with Blaine. And we're talking to this couple and stuff, and, and Blaine's just so good about this. He's, 
we're, we're leaving. I'm, I, you know, I'm the pastor of Lifehouse. I was just telling him about our whole church and everything. And Blaine goes, he stops us and says, is there anything we could be praying for you about? Like, well, it took two minutes, three minutes. And he's like, yeah, actually, you could be praying about our transition, my life, my work, and my family and all this stuff. And so we just stopped and prayed for him. Like, just take a genuine interest in the people that are around you. Finally, number three, live a life of intentional relationships. Philippians 2, verse 25 says, but I think it is necessary to send back to you, I love this guy's name, Epaphroditus. I wonder what he went by for short. Epapha. Epapho? Fro? I don't know. I send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who was also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. So this is what he says. He says, to protect your hearts, we have to protect our hearts with intentional relationships. I've, I've, I've sent you Epaphroditus. I've sent you people. You have people in your life. We need people in our life. We need brothers and sisters. We, we get to walk this life with each other. We need these kind of kingdom relationships. And it's not, any, it's not any secret that the enemy of our soul, if he can isolate us, if he can get us out here, get us away from our kingdom relationships, and he can isolate you, that's where he can pick you off. And if you're feeling isolated right now, I would say press into any sort of kingdom relationship you can find. If you're looking for relationships, in August, we're going to be training life group, uh, life group leaders, and then we're going to launch in September. Get a part of a life group. Do life together. We just got done doing our, our serve day, and if that ignited something in you, it was like, man, that just feels right. Start a life group on serving. If you want to have a life group that goes down to the Strong Foundation and watches the kids while those families go through Financial Peace University or whatever, like start a life group. Be in life together. Because if you're isolated, you're in danger. And Paul says, if you want joy, Walk through this kingdom life together. In verse 14, he says, do everything without complaining and ar or arguing. I hate that verse. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. We live in a crooked and depraved generation, and a cooked, by the way, uh, in which you shine like stars in the universe. This life is crazy, and happiness is fleeting. And if all we're looking for is happiness, we are going to be disappointed all the time. I want to end with this verse. It's from 1 Peter 5, 6. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. We humble ourselves, and God exalts us. That's the promise. Not we make ourselves known and then he, he exalts us. No, we humble ourselves. One of, the, one of the greatest things that I've learned from, from one of my mentors, Daniel Brown, is he gives this picture of what we are to be about as leaders, as Christians. And the picture is like if you, if you get a flat tire and you, or maybe all your tires are flat, which is a really bad day, and, you, and you're off to the side of the road, and, and, the, and the car is like down on the ground, but somehow you've got to lift it up to get 
uh, to get underneath it, to, to get the tires changed. And, and hopefully you have four spares in this analogy. But you, so what you have to do is you have to dig into the dirt. You have to get underneath it. And then you can get the jack there. And then you can lift it up. And there are people all around us who are having the kind of day where all four tires are flat. And telling them how to change their tires, telling them that their tires are flat, really doesn't help them at all. What helps them is when you're willing to get down under there and start digging and get underneath all of it and get the jack under there and prop them up. That's when life change takes place. And you know what? Not only does it bring joy into their life, we experience joy. True, unadulterated joy that only can come from him. We humble ourselves. We get as low as possible. And God will exalt us. He will lift us up. He has something great to do in our lives. And my prayer for myself, my prayer for us as a church is that when we walk out these doors every single Sunday, that we would, as First Peter 5, uh, no, as, as Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, that we will shine like stars in the universe. That people will recognize it. I almost changed it to shine bright like a diamond, thinking the cultural reference would be better, but it really wasn't. So that we would just shine like stars. That when your neighbors see you, they're like, Something different about that person. When your coworkers see you, something different. When you come home after a really long day, a really hard, difficult day, that you would shine bright. Not because you have what it takes, but because our strength to serve our families comes from him and him alone. Let's pray. Lord, as we go through these chapters, they're challenging. They're difficult for us. Well, uh, I'll, I'll make that personal. They're difficult for me. My guess is they're challenging for a lot of us. That there's such a, a counter life, a counter cultural life that you call us to. And it's easy for us to get caught up in this world seeking to impress people or to seek the applause of man, to live a, a selfish, selfie kind of life. It's easy for us to get caught up into that. And so God, my prayer for all of us is that we would surrender that to you today. That we would humble ourselves before you that we would become servant-hearted, as your word says. These are the things that we don't love to read often because they bring conviction as well they should. And Lord, I know that even in the conviction, even in reading these difficult passages that say we need to humble ourselves even more, I know your grace is enough. That wherever we're at at this moment, your grace is enough for me. And you look forward to seeing 
the growth and the life that can come from being obedient to your word. So I'm going to, I'm just going to give you the opportunity just every, while everybody's praying. I want to pray for kind of two groups of people this morning. The first is, if you don't have a relationship with God, then and certainly a lot of what we're talking about in this joy that could come on the inside of your life um, is not really even possible. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've pursued happiness a lot in your life. And, and there just has never been that, Scripture talks about an unspeakable joy that could only come from Him. Well, that's because you haven't surrendered your life to Him. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that today, to surrender your life to your creator, to God. And to say, God, I can't lead this life in my way. I really want to walk in obedience to you. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want me to include you in that prayer, I'm just going to ask that you would just raise your hand and say, Ryan, that's me. I want to I want you to include me in this prayer. I want to surrender my life to him today. Is there anybody that's saying that that would just be so bold? Nobody's looking around, and I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to agree with you. If I can't see your hand, just raise it up. I want to pray then with the rest of us in the room who in, their circum, in your circumstance, as we talked about last week, in your circumstance, you're still struggling with joy. And in your serving your creator, you're serving God, you're tired, you're getting down, and you, you just need to give it over to him. And let him be your source of strength instead of trying to white-knuckle this thing. And and I'm not going to have you raise your hand on this. I'm just going to pray over you because my guess is there's a lot of us. Lord, for, for all of us that are here today that would just say, I'm tired. I'm tired of serving my family. I'm tired of serving my church. I'm tired of serving my spouse, my kids, I'm tired. I'm just, I'm tired of serving my coworkers. I'm just tired. God, I pray for a renewed strength that can only come from you and that we would be a people who would humble ourselves enough to be able to say, I can't do this on my own. I need you. Lord, that you would do that today. God, that we would be a people, a humble people, who shine bright like stars. In Jesus' name, amen.